So if there is a kid somewhere in this room and you've got one of these bingo sheets, you might have to wrestle it away from your parents because they were looking for a way that they could pay attention during church, get it back from them. I know that some of you kids have been disappointed the last couple of weeks because I've left you hanging on a couple of words. So uh, I'm going to try my very best to make sure we get all the words in this week so you can get bingo. And we're trying to teach the adults in the room how to say amen. So if you get bingo at any point in the service, I just want you to say amen. Just, and I'm not kidding, kids. You can just shout it out. Just say amen, and it, it'll wake the adults up. Okay, so just make sure you get this out and you're following along as we walk through this time. So uh, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you, we're going to be in two places today. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10, and we're also going to be in Luke chapter 5. Romans chapter 10 and Luke chapter 5. So you can, and we'll start in Romans if you want to go there first. Um, while you're finding that, let me just kind of set the stage as to what we're talking about and where we're focusing our energies in this current message series. The church, as we said last week, is not a place and it's not an event. The church is a community of people centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me say that one more time, because this is kind of the foundational truth of this series. The church is not a place, and it is not an event. It is a community of people centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. In this current, uh, was that bingo, or was that just an amen to the... <laughs> okay, good. Just checking, just checking. Um, so I didn't think I'd gotten all the words in quite yet. but um, So we're in a series that we're calling What Kind of Church? And we're just asking this question as a way for us to dig into some New Testament passages of Scripture to see what does the New Testament say about the kind of community that we are called to be. What, what kind of things is this community called to do as the community centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we said that this whole series, as we dig into these passages of Scripture, are really geared to help us form a biblical ecclesiology. And that's just a fancy word, which means we want our doctrine and our beliefs about the church to be rooted firmly in the teachings and truths of Scripture. And so we're trying to do that in this series. Last week, we started the series by saying that the church is a missional community, that its primary calling is to actually be a community on mission with God in this world. And we said that Jesus came to this world, sent by his Father, and as he came to this world, he announced the inbreaking of God's kingdom to this place called planet Earth. And his whole cosmic epic mission was to actually bring the kingdom of God here so that every person and every system and every community and culture and part of our society would reflect the very kingdom of God in the way that it functions and in the way that it behaves. 
And we said that because Jesus had this mission, he needed a community of people who would carry on his mission after he returned to be with his father. So we made this point last week. We said that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. And that's not just playing with words. It, it really is important to understand we as a church don't get to say, well, why, why do we exist in the world? And what would we like to do in the world? No, we don't get to ask that question because God already has a mission and he created the church to carry that mission out. So we are a missional community. And it's important for us to understand that we have this missional calling from God. This morning, I want to take a few minutes to talk to you about the fact that not only are we a missional community, but we are a gospel community. We are a gospel community. The word gospel literally means good news. In, in the original Greek language, it shows up throughout the New Testament, and it is this word from which we get the word evangelism. It literally means that we have a message and we carry the message out and we try to recruit other people to believe the message and to enter into the reality of that message, right? So Apple, right, the company that produces the best technology on the planet, in my opinion, um, they, they actually have people that they hire and they're called evangelists, and it's their job to go out into the unsaved world of non-Apple users and recruit people to buy iPhones and iPads and MacBooks. That's their job, to carry the good news to the ends of the earth, right? Evangelist. It means to take a message that you believe to be true, that you've discovered to be true, and to carry it out and to share that message with everyone that you come into contact with. And while it's kind of funny that Apple has chosen that term, the reality is, is that God created his community, the community called the church, to be a gospel community, a good news community, a community of people centered on the person of Jesus Christ who every week gather together like this, and then at the end of our time, we scatter and we're still the church. Even when we're not together, we're still the church because church isn't a place and it's not an event. It's a community of people. You are the church. And when you go out as the church, your job is to be an evangelist, to carry the message of Jesus out into our culture and share the good news with everyone who needs to hear it. Now, here's the big idea that I want you to get in your hearts and in your minds today, and I hope that you can't get away from this statement. I believe that as a church, in this place and in this time, we are called to make sure every person in our county has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the message of Jesus Christ. I want to say it one more time, maybe five more times. Every person, every person, from the youngest to the oldest, regardless of their educational level, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of where they live or what they have or don't have, regardless of, of whether they're married or single or divorced or widowed, it doesn't matter. Everyone in our county, every single person that you could potentially lay eyes on, we want every person to have repeated opportunities to hear the gospel and to respond to it with their lives. That's our job. That's our job as God's people in this time and in this place. 
right? Our job's not to fill these seats, right? We could fill the seats and the work still wouldn't be done, right? So if we think that our job is just to fill our church, we miss it, right? Our job is not to fill our church. Our job is to fill our community with the influence of God's kingdom. We want every person to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And until everyone is heard and everyone has had repeated opportunities to respond, our work is not done because we are a gospel community. So as members of a gospel community attempting to take this message into every part of our city and county so that people have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's important for us to always be working in two directions. It's not one or the other. It's both directions at the same time. You, as a member of a gospel community, you are sent out to share the gospel with people who cross your path. Right? It's not being sent out to share the gospel. It's not reserved for people with a theology degree or with ministry credentials. It's anybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Anybody. You're sent out. And that's direction number one. You're sent out to share. And direction number two is you're called to invite people in, to bring people in to hear the gospel. You're sent out to share and you're called to invite people and bring people in to hear the gospel. And we're going to talk about these two directions today because I think they're important for us to understand. So let's talk about being sent out first. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are sent out. If you are here in this room today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are an evangelist. Now, some of you right now, your palms are sweaty and your mouth's dry. You're like, oh, I have to evangelize? If you're a follower of Jesus, yes. Jesus actually didn't make it optional. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. He didn't intend for you to just pick which one you like best in that sentence. If you're a follower of Jesus, you get to do both. Follow Jesus and fish for people. Because we're a gospel community. We have good news for the world and we should go out into the world and share that message. Now, for some of us, that will come way easier than others. Right, Because some of you uh, are just naturally like outgoing, life of the party kinds of people. And others of you think COVID was a gift sent from God so you could be alone. <laughs> right? You're just like, as an introvert, I, I, I think even my daughter said this one day early on in the stay-at-home orders. She said, this is the way life was intended to be. Right? Like, so some of us have this challenge of, oh, I have to go out and share. Yes, you do. And here's why. Because Jesus sent you. Jesus sent you. As my good friend Dwight Robertson says, you are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. You are sent out. Jesus, in John chapter 20, verse 21, says this. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus is not saying this to people who have graduated with a theology degree. He's not, sending, he's not saying this to people who have ministry credentials. He's saying this to his disciples, his followers. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You are sent. Now the question is raised, so sent to do what? 
Well, of course, we're sent to exemplify the character of Christ, right? Like we go out in, into the world and we live for Jesus. We live as Jesus in the world. That's what being a disciple is all about. So we go out and we set an example and we live our faith out in front of people so that they can see, as the watching world looks on, they can see people who have been shaped and formed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're sent to do that. We're sent to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? To go out and love and serve and minister in compassion, to stand for social justice issues so that the world can become what God intends for the world to be. We're called to do that, right? Jesus didn't just say, go out and save people's souls. He talked about loving the, loving, uh, the, the people who were on the margins. He talked about serving those who were in need, visiting those who were in prison, clothing those who were naked, feeding those who were hungry. We're called to do all of that. We're called to go out and exemplify the character of Christ and then to be the hands and feet of Jesus, loving our world and alleviating suffering and making a difference. And because because we believe those two things, some people have said, go out and preach the gospel and when necessary, use words, right? And that's a wonderful statement, except it's created a bunch of Christians who actually think all they need to do is live right and they don't ever have to open their mouths. Right? Just go live for Jesus in the world and people will see you and then somehow, mysteriously, magically even, they will start following Jesus. That sounds great, except it doesn't line up with scripture. And remember, we're trying to get back to the scriptures to say, what do they teach us? So Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there with me. And we're going to look at just a couple of verses of scripture and see the importance, not just of exemplifying the character of Christ and being the hands and feet of Jesus, but actually opening our mouths to share the message. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. This is what it says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming? And how are they to proclaim or preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach or proclaim the good news. I just read these verses because I want you to see the progression. If we want people in our world to call on the name of Jesus if we want them to believe in him so that they can call on him, if we want them to, to come to that place where they can believe they have to hear, and in order for them to hear, guess what? Someone has to open their mouth and explain it. Now, this may not have been true 100 years ago. People may have kind of just basically understood the Christian faith, right? We were basically a Christian culture. And some people would say, uh, we've become post-Christian. And I would say, no, no, we've moved beyond that. We now live in a secular society. And we might not like that. We don't have to like it, right? But it's true. 
Right? I was working with one of our churches in the Crossroads District, and uh, they were telling me about a program where they had some, a school that used their building. It was a public school, and they needed a, a large space to gather, and they used the sanctuary. And as the kids were filing in for this event, uh, one of the volunteers from the church was in the lobby, and the kid stopped the volunteer in the lobby and said, what's the T on the wall for? And the volunteer didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, you know, the T up there in the front of the room. What's the big T on the wall for? And the volunteer finally got it. That's not a T, that's a cross. And then the kid said, well, what's a cross? That's right here in Indiana. It's not some far off mission field. That's here where we live. Secular society. I say that to say this. We cannot assume people know anything about the Christian faith. We're past that day. We are past that day. So that means if we are followers of Jesus, we have to be ready in season and out of season to actually testify on behalf of Jesus Christ and explain who he is to a secular world. You are sent out to share the gospel. It's the only way they can hear so they can believe and call on his name. And you're the messenger. You're the messenger. Kids, get ready for another word because here it comes. Ambassador. You are Christ's ambassador. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You, you're called to take this message of Jesus out into the world and share that message so that people can be reconciled to God. You are sent out. So go and exemplify the character of Christ 100%. Don't proclaim something you're not. Oh, we got a bingo. That sounded like a bingo back here. Did I hear? Oh, love it. Thank you. Thank you. You are awesome. Thank you for saying amen. That is wonderful. I thought I was just preaching good, but bingo is just as good. So listen, we have to carry this message out. We've got to go out there and exemplify the character of Christ because if we're not doing that, don't, don't talk about Jesus if you're not going to live like Jesus. Right? Don't do that. That just hurts the message even more. Exemplify the character of Christ. Demonstrate what it looks like to love the world as Jesus loved the world. Be his hands and feet. But please, please, please open your mouth and share his good news. Not, con not condemnation, not judgment. Right? I've watched enough Christians on Facebook, not from this church, from other churches, we love judgment. We love condemnation. We love to tell people what's wrong with them. And we, we got to stop that. Let's tell them good news. Let's tell them about who Jesus is. Of course there's stuff wrong with the world. Of course people aren't living like Christians because they're not Christians. So let's not just try to get them to live like Christians. Let's get them to be Christians. Let's share the good news. We're sent to do that. Now, here's what I know. I know that a lot of Christians, this might shock you, a lot of Christians have never one time shared their faith with someone outside the church. I know this because I've asked them 
as I've traveled around the last four years working with churches in our state, I've just asked people before services start, so tell me about the last time you shared your story of how you came to Jesus and how Jesus has changed your life with someone who's not a Christian. And countless times, I had people look me back in the eye and say, I haven't done that in a long time. And I will say, well, just take me back to the last time you did it. And then some of them have kind of looked down at the floor and said, well, I've never done that. Now, I just want to say, as a community, a gospel community, that should not be true of us. 12 months from now, if we do a little survey in this church and ask you when was the last time you shared your faith, I want everybody who's a follower of Jesus at Lakeview Church to be able to have a story from the last 12 months where you can say that right there. God opened the door and I took it and I shared my faith with that person. Because we're a gospel community and we're sent out. Sent out to share his message with people in our community. So everybody in our community can have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you're sent out to share, but you're also called to bring people in. You're called to bring people in. And this is important too, because uh, sometimes there are people that we're working with, maybe that we have built relationships with, we've shared the gospel with, who actually need to join a community of other people who are already on the path to see kind of what it looks like in real life. In fact, what we know about a lot of people who have maybe lived their entire lives separated from Jesus is that it's actually important for them to join, to belong, before they believe. They actually need to test it out and see what it looks like with skin on. So it's not just some doctrine that they decide to believe in that's kind of in their head somewhere. No, they actually want to see you living out your faith in real time. They actually want to see what you do when someone makes you mad. They actually want to see that. They want to see if in that moment, do you live out your faith or do you kind of throw your faith out the window and get that person they want to know when the pressure gets turned up in life, you lose your job, you get a diagnosis from your doctor that's not so good, what do you do then? Do you just turn against God or do you actually uh, lean into God in those moments? People want to see that, believe it or not. And they want to know, is your faith just something you talk about or is it actually shaping the way you live your life? Right? So some people, while you could go out and share the gospel, they might not ever believe until you bring them into the community so they can start kind of testing the waters. So you got to go out and share the gospel, but you also got to bring people in. Now, I know that every other pew is roped off. And uh, that means that we have like less than half of our capacity because then we got these pieces of tape that spread people out and you know all this distancing stuff, right? So here's the reality. Uh, even with that, we still got seats. We got plenty of room. We got chairs out in the lobby. We can set them out there. And if we need to, we can go into another room and turn on the screen and we can put people there. I say that to say this, bring your friends to church. Bring your friends to church. 
I promise you that every single week, we are going to do our very best to put on the very best service that we can. Our service is going to tell the story of God week in and week out. We're going to proclaim the gospel in the songs that we sing, the scriptures that we read, the prayers that we pray, and the messages that we preach. And I can promise you this. I won't, I won't embarrass you. Okay? I won't embarrass you. Every once in a while, I might make an off-color comment about the Colts. You'll just have to bear with me. I grew up near Baltimore. But I'll try, other than that, I'll try not to embarrass you. Um, but, but your friends will be comfortable here. We're not going to point them out. We're not going to put them on the spot. You can invite your friends. They, they can feel comfortable here. We welcome them here in this place. Okay? And we're not going to create a culture that judges people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. No, we're going to welcome people because we don't want to put any barriers in front of people that would keep them from getting to Jesus. No barriers. Now, if they get to Jesus and the gospel itself becomes a barrier, so be it. We're not going to water down the gospel. We're not going to compromise the truth of Scripture just to get a bunch of people in. No, we're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to stand on our convictions of what the Word teaches. But if, if that gospel is a barrier, so be it. But we don't want to put any other barriers between those people out in our community and Jesus. We want the first barrier that they encounter to be the gospel itself. So we're going to do everything we can to create a safe, welcoming environment. And you're going to help us with that. But then you got to go out and invite your friends. you got to invite them. you got to bring them in. Now, one of my favorite passages of Scripture that deals with this whole idea of inviting people in is Luke chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, just flip over there. I want to read this little story here. And this is a story of people bringing a friend to Jesus. And this is, I think there's some lessons for us in here. So Luke chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, this is Jesus now teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, Jesus, to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I love this story uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it speaks to religious people, right? There are scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law. They're gathered. They have traveled, Right? They want to hear Jesus teach, and, and they are comfortable. They got there early, right? Uh, I'm not going to say who said this, but uh, someone told me this morning they got here early so they could sit in the back, 
They're on to all you people. We know which seats are premium at church, the back ones. We get it. We get it. They got there early, and they were crowded into the house, these religious people. These were people who loved the word of God. They knew it backwards and forwards. These were people who were very disciplined and diligent in their efforts to live out what the word of God taught them. These were people who showed up every time the doors were open. These were people who sought to instruct others in the right way to live. These were, these were the religious conservatives of their day. And they, they were passionate about the truth. And they got there. They got into this home where Jesus was teaching. They crowded into the building and they got their seat. They were ready for the show to begin. And it's interesting, the passage says the power of God was on Jesus that day to heal. This is, this is a moment when the, the, the hand of God was resting on Jesus in a special way. He was God right? So he didn't need any special anointing to be God. He was already God. But in this moment, the power of God was showing up in a special way to heal people. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a religious person sitting in that house that day and you recognize the power of God is in this place to heal people and change their lives forever, what's your response? Do you grab some popcorn and say, oh, this is going to get exciting? Or do you leave to go find a person who most needs the power of God to work in their lives so that they can get in front of Jesus and have their life changed by him? Unfortunately, religious people, especially in the North American church, like to just watch the show. Just like these religious people did. They're just gonna sit there. They're not going to make a way. They're not even going to make space. They're just going to sit there. But then verses 18 and 19 present another group of men. Maybe a little bit less religious. But maybe more faithful to the mission of God. Because they got a friend who needs to get in front of Jesus. They believe if their friend can get in front of Jesus, his life is going to be changed forever. So they're committed to do whatever it takes to get their friend in front of Jesus. So when they get to the building and they can't find a way in because the religious people won't make a way for them, they think to themselves, I know what we'll do. We'll cut a hole in the roof. Now, if that happened, I mean, let's just imagine for a moment this place was packed and there was no seats available and no way for people to get in but there was someone out there who needed their friend to be right up here so they could be in the presence of Jesus and have their life changed forever and someone cut a hole in the roof, we would not be thinking, man, I love their faith. We would be thinking, how much is that gonna cost and how quickly can we get these people to court to get the money we need, right? But these guys go up on the roof, they cut a hole in the roof and they lower their friend down. Now, I don't even want to imagine what the friend is thinking, right? Like, this just seems like every bad idea that your friends might have, that they're going to lower you down on a mat from the roof. But they're committed. And they lower their friend right in front of Jesus. And I love what the passage says. When Jesus saw their faith, 
not the faith of the man. When Jesus saw the faith of the friends, he forgave the man's sins. You play a crucial role in the life of your friends. They don't have faith in God if they're not walking with him. But you have faith in God. And you've got to want more than anything else for your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates to get in front of Jesus. Because Jesus can change their lives. I hope that we understand how much Jesus can change a life. He changed mine. He changed yours. And he'll change the life of your friends if we can get your friends in front of Jesus. So we got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And that's exactly what happens to this man in this passage. He gets in front of Jesus. Jesus forgives his sins. And then he's kind of wise to what the religious people are thinking. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, oh, you want to know who God is? Let's get rid of this mat. And this man walks out of the place carrying his mat with sins forgiven and with his body healed. And he's forever different because of Jesus. You've got friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, classmates who need to be in front of Jesus. And you're called to bring them in. You're sent out to share the gospel. You're called to bring people in so they can be a part of the community where they can hear the gospel. Now, I want to get real practical as we bring this to a close. I want to give you four key ideas that will help us live in both of these directions. And I'm actually challenging you. If you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm actually challenging you to do these four things. Not just for like the next week. I'm just challenging you to do them until you go to be with Jesus. Like, I think these are lifestyle things that we ought to be doing on a regular basis in our lives to live sent and to bring people in. So I'm gonna give you four words. I'm gonna give them to you very quickly. The first word is the word identify. Identify. Maybe it's a post-it note you put on your bathroom mirror or a little index card you stick in your Bible, or maybe it's a note you put on your phone. Whatever you do, wherever you want to put it, I want to encourage you to just make a short list, three to five people who don't know Jesus, who need to be in front of Jesus in their life. I just want you to identify who those people are. Look in your relational network. Could be family, could be friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, the person who waits on you at the grocery store every week whoever, wherever. Now, if you think to yourself, I can identify three to five people who don't know Jesus, get some new friends. And I'm serious. If you literally cannot think of anybody that you know who doesn't know Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, find some new friends. Because we need everybody in our county to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're part of that plan. So, Identify. Second, intercede. Intercede. This is a fancy little word, which just means that you're going to get between that person and God, and you're going to talk to God about that person. You're going to stand in the gap for them. I want to encourage you to do that. For those people on your list, do it every single day. You don't have to take a long time every day, but at some point in your day, just pray for those people. If it's a post-it note on your bathroom mirror while you're standing there getting ready, 
instead of just admiring, you know, the beauty that you see in the mirror, maybe just take a couple minutes to pray for those people. Every day, consistently, constantly seeking God on their behalf. Third, I need you to invest in those people. This might mean just doing something fun with them, right? I always say, like, if, if there's something you like to do that they like to do, you could do that together, and that'd be fun. If there's something they like to do that you don't like to do, you could pretend, right? There are things that my wife likes to do, and I pretend. Don't tell her. I pretend. You know why? Because I love her. Love it. Revival is breaking out in this room right now. Man, love it. Seriously, if there are things your friends like to do, if it's, as long as it's not immoral or illegal, pretend. Invest. If there's a way that you could love them or serve them or help them, do it. Right? It doesn't, you don't have to do like miraculous, amazing things. Just be a friend. Be kind, be considerate, be compassionate, and invest. When we used to live in Denver, Colorado, we had friends of ours uh, who were part of another faith that was not Christian, and they were very committed to evangelizing us into their faith. And of course, we were very committed to evangelizing them into our faith. So, so we just served each other back and forth constantly. It was a great way to get a lot of house projects done for both families, um, because they were committed to helping us and we were committed to helping them. But, but here's the thing, our relationship grew over time. Now, I can't tell you that they came to faith in Jesus, but I can tell you we had lots of conversations about the gospel because we were building a friendship, right? Part of the reason we get so afraid to share our faith with others because we're not sharing it with our friends, we're sharing it with strangers. But if we go out and build friendships, then we're just talking to people we love and care about about something that matters to us. And that makes it a lot less nerve-wracking. So identify, intercede, invest, and then fourth, invite. And we might think of that as just invite them to church, but I want to pause before you go there, and I want you just to, to think of it a different way. What if you saw your first calling as a calling to share your story and invite them to consider Jesus. And then as part of that journey, then you can invite them to church. In other words, before you'd invite them into this building, tell them who Jesus is to you, what Jesus has done in your life, and invite them to start considering what it would look like to follow him, and then invite them in. And they're going to hear the gospel here and the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and the messages that we preach and the scriptures that we read. We're going to tell the story of God and we're going to invite people to follow Jesus because that's what we do. We're a gospel community. That's our job. Because we want everybody in our county to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to move into a time of kind of closing commitment here today. And I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Uh, so if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to find uh, something that you can write on. And again, this could be your phone. You could type it into a note or uh, you could write it on a piece of paper. Kids, you could use the back of your bingo sheet if you're looking for a place to write. But I want everyone to seriously get, a, get some place that you can write. 
And uh, even if you have no intention of actually doing this, I want you just, for my sake, to pretend that you're doing it. Just, just pretend like you're getting something right now so that I'll know that you're listening and you're actually going to at least look like you're doing it, okay? And here's what we're going to do. I want to invite you just for a moment to just have a moment of reflection. This is not something you're going to share with the person next to you. It's not something that I'm going to invite you to share with me. This literally is just a time for you in the presence of God as a follower of Jesus, as a member of a gospel community, to just take a couple of moments and let God speak to your heart. Do you have three or five people that are in your relational network that you know right now these people do not know who Jesus is? It could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be a parent, it could be an aunt or an uncle, it could be a close friend or a co-worker, it could be the neighbor that lives down the street, the person that cuts your hair. I don't know who they are to you, but they're in your relational network. I just want you for a moment to let God bring their face and their name to your mind. And when that name comes to mind, I just want you to write it down. Again, it could be on a piece of paper. It could be on your phone. Just write it down. As you think about those names today, I just want you, even in this very moment, of silence and reflection. I want you just to contemplate what is God asking you to do to help get those people in front of Jesus? So I want you to reflect. I want you to think. I want you to pray. I want you to capture those names and I want you to start the conversation with God about those people. And for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ today, uh, I just want all of us to just make a new commitment in our heart. Right? Many of you are already committed to this, but just a new commitment to say, I want to I go out to share and I want to bring people in. And what would it look like? What would it look like if everybody who's written down a couple of names, what if a year from now we were sitting in this room and all of those names, those people, were present in this room, not as our friends we were hoping to come to Jesus, but what if they'd already come to Jesus in this year? What if they'd already surrendered their lives to him and they were starting to walk in this new life? Um, we'd be excited about it, but our neighborhoods and our community, our workplaces, they'd be different. That's what we want. We're a missional community and we're a gospel community. That's what we're called to be. Now, there's one more thing I want to do before we close in prayer, and we are almost done. But I, I really do want you, just for a moment, everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody looking around. And I really am serious. This is, this is a moment where I don't want anybody looking around because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed right now. I've talked a lot about the gospel and I've been talking to people who are followers of Jesus. Most of you in the room are followers of Jesus, but, but there might be somebody here today who's not a follower of Jesus. You've not made a commitment to walk with Jesus for the rest of your life and, and might be one of the kids in the room. Maybe you've just never made a decision as a child to say, you know what, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Maybe it's a teenager today. You're like, I have never decided that I'm going to live for Jesus. Or maybe you're one of the oldest people in the room and you've been to church, 
but you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. There is no better time than today to decide that you want to be a disciple of Jesus, that you want to be like the man lowered on the mat. You want to get in front of Jesus for a moment, have him forgive your sins and change your life. I just want you to know Jesus is present in the room and he would love nothing more than for you to come home to him. So here's what I want you to do. If that's you today, if you say, I I would like to follow Jesus, I'm making that commitment. If you're watching online and you're making that commitment, all I want you to do is reach out to the host pastor that's working online today and just let them know that you're making this commitment. But if you're in the room right now and you're making this commitment, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to make you come forward. I just simply want you to acknowledge before God that yes, I'm making that commitment and I want to pray for you. So if that's you, just raise your hand. I'm looking around the room right now. Is anybody, yep, there's a hand. Yep. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, for the one who's got your hand raised, you can put your hand down. And I just want you, where you're seated, to just pray this prayer. And you don't need to say it out loud, but I just want you to pray this prayer in your heart as I lead you in this prayer. God, in this moment, I am acknowledging that I want to follow Jesus. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want a brand new start. I want to be a new creation in you. And God, I want to give the rest of my days to following you. So Lord, help me to live this Christian life day by day and moment by moment. I know I have a lot to learn. I know I have a long way to go and lots of ways to grow. But I want to take the journey. And God, I pray for this person who's just prayed that prayer I pray, Lord, that you would meet them right where they're at right now in this moment. Embrace them. May they sense the very arms of God wrapping around them right now to welcome them into this community called the church. God, thank you for the work that you are doing. God, I pray for all of us today that we will truly be a gospel community sent out to share your message and called to bring people in so they can know who Jesus is. And God, for what you do, we're gonna give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.